episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. I was thinking the other day about some random thoughts, and I thought, why not do a whispered ramble on random thoughts? Here were some of the random thoughts on my mind. audiences on TV and social media are also watching when videos are posted on places such as YouTube.
history of naming rights, not too long ago stadiums were typically named after the teams that occupied them. Yankee or Dodger Stadium, for example. Or individuals, Comiskey Park or RFK Stadium. Or a geographical location such as Anaheim Stadium. In the early days of professional sports, there are only a few examples of venue names that were associated with companies. In 1912, the owner of the stadium where the Boston Red Sox played called it Fenway Park after the real estate company he owned. Then in 1926, Wilbur Wrigley named the stadium where the Chicago Cubs played Wrigley Field. It is not clear whether he did this to promote the company he owned or if he just wanted to put the family name on the stadium. Or maybe both. In 1953, August Bush II wanted to rename Sportsman's Park where the St. Louis Cardinals played Budweiser Stadium, but the league did not allow it. He was able to name it Bush Stadium after his family name. To capitalize on the stadium name, Augie quickly introduced a new brand of beer called Bush Bavarian Beer. So next we have when prices began to soar. This is all new for me, by the way. I haven't, I hadn't read this beforehand. The steep escalation in prices for naming rights can be traced to 1999, when FedEx agreed to pay the Washington Redskins $205 million over 27 years for the rights to name the stadium where the Redskins play. This was followed by several other large naming rights deals. MetLife signed a $400 million deal for over 25 years to name the Meadowlands Stadium where the New York Giants play. Reliant Energy signed a $320 million 32-year deal to name the stadium where the Houston Texans play. Citigroup signed a $400 million deal to put its name on the stadium where the New York Mets play. So it's funny because obviously virtually every professional stadium, you know, every venue where a professional team plays, and I'm talking about obviously, you know, in one of the big leagues, right? NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB. You know, they all have uh, a naming right with a company. But, you know, for example, in baseball, off the top of my head, the Miami Marlins don't have a stadium deal for a brand new stadium. So you wonder why the Marlins still call it Marlins Park. say it's kind of odd because you know when you think about it the Marlins Stadium or the Marlins Park where they play now I think it's a 
about five years old, six years old at this point, maybe, well, maybe a little more, maybe almost close to ten. And they've never had a uh, naming right to the stadium. It's always been called Marlins Park. So, you know, it seems like they're missing on a great opportunity to capitalize on something stadium you think that they you know you think that another brand would put you know a hundred million dollars into Marlins Park or something so but anyway these are just random thoughts you know it makes you think how do they come about and what about daydreaming that's a great question, and perhaps you are wondering if I have an answer. Well, I don't have answers to many things, but I do have an article that was somewhat copied and pasted from Psychology Today. The author is Susan Krauss, and it's titled, Why and How You Daydream, from Psychology Today. Quote, everyone, or nearly everyone, reports daydreaming on a regular basis with studies indicating that as many as 96% of adults engage in having at least one bout of daily fantasies. Psychologists have long been interested in the vagaries. First time I've ever seen that word, vagaries. I have vaguely heard of vagaries. Anyway, psychologists have long been interested in the vagaries of our mental meanderings. James, credited with being the founder of American psychology, famously studied streams of consciousness to provide data for his functionalist theory of the mind. In 1890, he wrote that, quote, when absorbed in intellectual attention, we become so inattentive to outer things as to be absent-minded, abstracted, or distraught. Concentrated meditation is apt to throw us into this state that transient lapses in the control of attention may lead to a shift in attention from the external world to internal mentation. While James pursued his studies of consciousness across the Atlantic, University of Leipzig psychologist Wilhelm Wundt used introspection to understand how the mind works. They may have had similar methods, but they had very different theories. James was interested in finding out how the mind adapts to experiences. Wundt wanted to learn about the mind's structures. Today, neuroscientists combine the best of both of these worlds, looking at brain scans study participants complete various mental tasks. Serendipitously, it was while studying the brain's activation during tasks involving memory and attention that neuroscientists first discovered a neural basis for daydreaming. While in between tasks, 
set of brain structures in their participants started to become more active. These same structures turned off as soon as the participants began to engage in cognitive tasks that were the original focus of the research. Eventually, scientists were able to pinpoint this set of specific brain structures, which we now know as a brain's default network. This network links parts of the frontal cortex, the limbic system, and several other cortical areas involved in sensory experiences. While active, the default network turns itself on and generates its own stimulation. The technical term for such a product of a default network is stimulus-independent thought, a thought about something other than events that originates from the outside environment. In common speech, stimulus-independent thoughts make up fantasies and daydream, the stuff of mind-wandering. Apart from entertaining us while we're bored, what does the default network do for us? Some researchers propose that it's actually a type of watchdog or sentinel ready to spring into action when we need to attend to an outside stimulus. However, the preponderance of evidence suggests that the default network is there to help us explore our inner experiences. Specifically, we engage our default network when we're thinking about our past experiences, imagining an event that might take place in the future, trying to understand what other people are thinking, and assisting us in making moral decisions. It goes on a little bit longer. It seems, then, that our default network makes daydreaming possible. The effect of daydreaming on our psyche may depend furthermore on the nature of our daydreams. In a series of questionnaire studies, New York University psychologist Raymond Marr and associates asked men and women ranging from 18 to 85 to report on the frequency and vividness of their daydreams, as well as their life satisfaction, levels of loneliness, and social support. For men, the more frequent their daydreams, the lower their, so their life satisfaction. For women, vividness but not frequency was related to lower life satisfaction. family and friends reported higher levels of life satisfaction. Those who daydreamed about romantic partners that they didn't currently have, past or potential, strangers or fictional characters were lonelier, had less, lo had less lower social support, and tended to have lower life satisfaction. Although this was a correlational study, the more findings suggest ways to use daydreaming to your advantage. Your daydreams will be more likely to bring you happiness if they're about the actual people you know, rather than the imaginary people you would like to know. The more findings also 
also suggest that there are times when it's better not to daydream. Anytime you've drifted off to la-la land while someone is giving a boring talk, speech, or seminar, you may suddenly come to the realization that you have no idea what this person just said. You'll be in trouble if you need to take a test or answer a question directed towards you. social situation such as a date or family meal, the consequences can prove embarrassing if not relationship killing. 1. Tune out your default network when you need to focus. Your best chance to learn something new comes when you deactivate the network. If your daydreams are bothering you, change them. We know from the Mars study that people who daydream about unobtainable relationships feel unhappier and less satisfied. As difficult as it may be, try to fantasize about the relationships you now have or those you might reasonably be able to start in the near future. 3. Use your daydreams to help, not hurt your memory. From the Delaney study, we learned that students who daydreamed about faraway places or situations had poorer memories than those whose daydreams stayed closer to their current realities. If you use your daydreams to elaborate on your experiences now, you'll have a better chance of remembering those experiences in the future. 4. Don't stifle your creativity, but don't let it interfere with what you need to know. Creative people seem to be more likely to engage in flights of fancy, as a Taguchi study to show, showed. Before you let your imagination run rampant, make sure you're paying enough attention to what's going on around you to get that information to stick to your long-term memory. Your daydreams can, hold, can mold your memory, your attention, and even your happiness within your relationships. Daydreams may be the stuff of your brain's default network, but they can also prove to be the source of your personal fulfillment. And of course, that was Susan Krauss Whitburn, PhD to 2013. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at SWH. Uh, let me see here. It's SWHITBO altogether. And she also has a Facebook group called Fulfillment at Any Age. So those were just some uh, random thoughts on uh, random thoughts and, uh, you know, kind of learning a little bit about memory and naming rights. Kind of a weird uh, episode in terms of the style overall of said suggestions or if you have well let me restart if you have any suggestions for future rambles you can always email the show hello at sleep and relax asmr.com you can check out our website sleep and relax asmr.com that's all for this episode thanks as always for listening